0: It was the winter of 1153, at Christmas time, and Earl Harold was fighting for control of the Orkney Islands. While he was leading his men on foot from Stromness to the parish of Firth, a fierce blizzard forced the warriors to seek shelter. They huddled for the night in the burial mound of May's Howe, and it is not recorded what they saw there, but two of the men went insane in what they experienced.
1: Happy holidays to all you lovely folks out there in the hinterlands. As always, it's your dynamic duo, Rock and Max, and we're going to be your guides as we travel the windswept northern isles and ancient barrows in search of the supernatural here on Nightmares and Daydreams, y'all.
0: Rock speaks True gang, we're throwing on our cold weather gear and heading north.
1: North? Like to Dallas? That's too far, Maxie.
0: A little past Dallas, Rock. Just a touch.
1: Alright man, let's do it, but before we do, we'd like to remind all you fine folks to continue To like, subscribe, review, and to continue granting us the boon of the oh-so-important five-star review on whatever podcast you listen to us on means so much.
0: And don't forget about our tea public shop, gang. We have some fine Nightmares and Daydreams gift ideas there. We do? For that discerning podcast listener in your life. They will love you even more if you buy them our stuff.
1: Or you can just buy it for your own damn self. Ain't nothing like an Irish coffee in a Nightmares and Daydreams mug, y'all. It's the best.
0: You done shilling our store, Rock? You got a show to do, amigo?
1: <laughs> I am finished, good sir.
0: As we are wont to do, Rock and I are going to discuss and debate our way through all things paranormal, monstrous, monstrous legendary, mm-hmm. and, as always, fun.
1: But do you want to know what's not fun, Maxie?
0: Even after all this time, I still don't know, Rock.
1: <laughs> Being trapped in a mound grave and having the dead rise up to take your soul.
0: Yeah, no, I... I totally hate it when that happens.
1: Me too. Luckily, I always travel with the Paladin with the Turn Undead ability. You know, when I'm barrow raiding in the old world and all.
0: Wise advice. But question, how does one get trapped in a barrow mound?
1: Long story. I had too much me, there was a shifty dwarf with a treasure map. Let's not get into it. <laughs> there are kids listening right now.
0: Well, last time I was in a barrow, I found an elven blade, called it Sting.
1: Oh, Max- Maxbo Baggins, that's right, I forgot. <laughs> Yeah, hey, listen, let's just take a step back and talk about what a mound grave or barrow is for those of listeners who might not know, because they play an important role in this episode.
0: Yes. We're going to be talking about draugers, which are undead revenants that haunt the mound graves of Northern Europe.
1: England, Scotland, Germany, Scandinavian countries.
0: Probably a number of other countries as well.
1: Certainly. You know, I'd advise tossing a coin to your witcher if you're going to go looking for barrow mounds, y'all.
0: Yep. December 17th, I think that show comes back. All right.
1: Yes. Season two. Looking forward to it.
0: And hog boys or hog boons are a Scottish incarnation of the same thing.
1: I feel like a hog boon is like an undead baboon. A Scottish <laughs> yeah. undead baboon. Both. Those are the worst kind because they wear the uh,
0: plaid. Half pig, half baboon.
1: Yeah, they wear, they wear the plaid tartans and have those claymore swords. It's rough. All right. <laughs> the most famous being the hog boy of Maze Howe.
0: For sure. I recently saw an episode of Mystic Britain on the Smithsonian channel about the hog boy, which actually was part of the inspiration for this episode.
1: We just had to know more folks. And we think y'all will be interested as well because the lore is pretty rad.
0: For sure. Revenants or whites are maybe the closest thing, but sadly there's no direct Mm -hmm. Mm D&D corollary for this bad boy. He's kind of unique.
1: Which is sad because as everybody out there knows, the best monsters
0: are D&D monsters. You're all based on actual folklore, gang. Well, mostly.
1: Mostly, yeah. Like there are no actual beholders out there. Am I right?
0: I mean, I hope you're right.
1: Yeah, I hope I am too. And moving on. All right. So, what can you tell us about draugers and hog boys, Max Bowbaggins?
0: Hold on. First, we promised to talk about barrows and mound graves.
1: Oh, word. We got kind of sidetracked. Your fault, of course. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Okay, my
0: bad. Okay. What is a barrow? Although, depending on the culture involved, the shape. And the interior architecture may vary.
1: Exactly, man, but the ones we'll be focusing on today are Northern European long barrows. And according to archaeologists, most of the 40,000 or so mounds that we know of date from many years before the Vikings and their Draugers. May's house seems to date back from around 2800 BC. But while Viking funeral practices seem to have varied some and mostly involved cremation, they did also bury honored dead in mounds which, along with some looting of the more ancient cumuli, may have contributed to their association of undead with places like Maeshow.
0: Nicely summarized.
1: Thank you, thank you, sir. Now, Max, tell us about the Draugers.
0: Well, let's start with the etymology, as we are wont to do. Mm -hmm. It's an old Norse word that comes from the proto-Germanic, I'm going to totally butcher this, draugaz. Sounds good. Which means illusion or delusion. Delusion,
1: Sounds totally good.
0: Old German has the words Gitrog, which means ghost, and Bitrog, which means delusion.
1: Hmm, what about
0: Bolrog? <laughs> Balrog. <laughs> well... You shall not pass. Sorry, Max. That's from the Sindarin language of Middle-earth, the language of the Grey Elves. hmm I believe it means mighty demon or something like that. Yeah, it was. Seriously, as everyone knows, Tolkien was an avid linguist and very knowledgeable in old northern European languages. He was so avid. Including, <laughs> including being a professor of Anglo-Saxon at Oxford. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be honest. Those dwarven names are lifted straight out of the Icelandic sagas.
1: <laughs> Dude, that is true. He's co-straight burgled them. So the etymologies are interesting, but, you know, like, what are these things, though, Max?
0: I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. My method is slightly more roundabout.
1: Have patience y'all, Maxi hates to be rushed.
0: Okay, so in the simplest terms, they are undead barrow dwellers.
1: Yeah, that's pretty simple.
0: (laughs) This much we've already intimated. Importantly, they are corporeal beings, not ghosts or spirits. Yeah. Most of Norse literature describes them in terms of being blue or blackish in color, cold, kind of dead colors. Hmm. And they're known to be exceedingly strong and could actually change shape, or mostly they change size. They had the capacity to grow to prodigious sizes. Oh, wow. Kind of like spriggins and stuff like that. Yeah. And they're known to be the guardians of treasure, which notably was buried in the mountains they dwelled in.
1: I mean, it's their treasure, right? I mean, it was buried with them for them to take to the afterlife or whatever, you know, to party on and wear dope armor and have good swords. (laughs) Indeed. So naturally, they don't want some brash Viking kid to come burgle their loot. Am I right?
0: For sure. Hard to argue with that. Where they become more troublesome is that they tend to wander the countryside and murder humans and livestock in the night.
1: Yeah, dude, like that's... You go out, you have some bruise with your friends, and you're just walking home, and then mm-hmm. a 30-foot-tall zombie comes up and kills you. Not nice. Yeah, so they kind of seem like zombies, but, you know, with more intelligence and maybe more intent.
0: Yeah, and they're not really after brains, but, yeah, they do seem to be capable of some level of interaction. Do you have a story?
1: You know I do. The sagas tell of a wealthy yet sickly seafaring woman named Thorgunna from the south of Iceland who requested on her deathbed that she be buried in Skalalholt and that her sheets and bedding to be burned and her wealth be donated to the Christian church. Upon Thorgunna's death, Thorad, a friend, burns all of her bedding except her bedsheets, which he gave to his wife as a gift. Thorad donates her wealth to the church and transports her body in a coffin south to Skalalholt. At nightfall, Thorod decides to rest on a farmstead just outside Skalalholt. In the middle of the night, Thorod and the farmstead owners awaken to find a dead, Dead naked naked Thorguna setting the dinner table and preparing a meal to eat. The farm owner tries to speak to Thorguna but she disappears after having prepared the full meal. Thorod, along with the other members transporting the corpse and the homesteaders on the farm, bless the meat by sprinkling holy water on it, eat the meat without harm, and then sleep peacefully through the night. The next day, Thorgrim's corpse is transported to Skalalhod and laid to rest, never disturbing Thorod or his kinsmen again.
0: Yeah, no. First of all, who gives a gift of dead person sheets to their wife? I mean, did you tell her where they came
1: from? Dude, totally. I mean, nobody wants to sleep in a dead person sheets. And even worse, in undead person sheets.
0: That's what I'm saying.
1: See what happens when you try to cheat a dying person's wishes, y'all? Come on.
0: Exactly. Second of all, they ate the meat Thoraguna <laughs> cooked for them. I mean, they like
1: dude maxi come on man they sprinkle that with holy water my man that kills all <laughs> yeah. the zombie virus germs hashtag proven
0: <laughs> it's like five second rule it's like mm-hmm. five drops of holy water rule. exactly
1: just cleanses the meal
0: <laughs> it's craziness I mean, I'm not a germaphobe by any means, but come on.
1: Dude, I mean, I kind of feel you, but a thousand years ago, people couldn't be wasteful like we are today. If there were a perfectly, you know, good set of sheets, you had to use them, I guess. And rump roast, even prepared by an undead chef, was hard to turn down, you know? It was a tough choice for the average medieval person out there just to toss those aside. I advise you to check your modern person privilege, Maxie. Come on. Uh (laughs) Ha
0: (laughs) ha. Personally, I love my modern person privilege. But there is more to this story, actually.
1: We'll continue on.
0: Following the death of Thorguna, a shepherd died at Frodiswater, where Thorguna had once resided. The shepherd haunted the house at Frodiswater until, eventually, Thorir Woodenleg encountered the man and then fell sick and died himself. The shepherd and Thorir then haunted Frodiswater together in which four more people fell sick and died, one after the other. During the winter, just before the Yule Fest, the constant sound of fishermen skinning fish could be heard outside the Frodiswater house. Additionally, a crew of six men were often seen manning a ten-oared boat not far from the shoreline. One night, when the Frodiswater inhabitants were gathering for dinner, a seal's head began to emerge from the floor people of the house tried to smash the seal back down into the floorboards with sticks and clubs, but the seal kept steadily rising further out of the floor with each blow. Kiartan, a young man at Frodiswater, ran into the house with a sledgehammer and struck the seal back down into the floorboards. Following the incident with the seal at Frodiswater, Thurid and Kiartan invited their neighbors to the house for the Yule feast, as Thurid, Kiartan, and the other guests were dining and sitting about the fire, Thorir and his undead followers entered the house and shook their dirty clothes all over the place, throwing mud on the guests. The next three nights, Kjartan moved his human guests and the fire into a different room, but Thorir and the other ghosts continued to enter the house, flinging mud and killing servants and farmhands. Eventually, Snorri, who was also Kjartan's uncle, banished Thorir and the ghosts from the Sneefels' nest using an effective combination of Christian and Icelandic rituals.
1: See, I mean, I know it's Christmas time, and these drougers love Christmas time, but no matter how cold it is outside, I don't know if I can spend three nights with a bunch of undead party crashers all spring mud and murder about. (laughs) Might be best just to try to escape to the nearest town or hell, camp out away.
0: That's what I'm saying, man. Yeah, having murdering undead invade your house is much worse than a stocking full of coal. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's definitely interesting how many of these stories fall into the Christmas season. I think it's important for our lovely listeners to remember that during the winter solstice, the darkest time of the year, when the sun emerges for only a few dreary hours, the veil between the worlds is thin, and the people of the other world are restless.
1: It is. And, you know, we definitely see, both in the story of Thorguna and the story of Thurid Woodleg, the capacity of the Draugr undead to perform at some basic level of human intelligence. Cooking meals, attending parties. Ooh, like, that's <laughs> that's a good skill for a zombie. And, you know, so they're not just normal undead, you know, beasts.
0: Yeah, for sure. They seem a lot like the White Walkers in Game of Thrones, actually.
1: Yeah, man, totally. And more than likely, George R.R. Martin was inspired by them. You know, probably he was.
0: I would think they had to have played some kind of role.
1: Well, while we're here, let's just get into another story, shall we? A farmer named Thorhall had a farmstead in northwestern Iceland. Thorhall's lands were notoriously haunted. His farmstead had such a bad reputation that Thorhall was constantly short on farmhands and herdsmen. Eventually Glam, a blue-eyed, grey-haired giant of a man, great in size and strength, came to him. And he and Thorhall came to an agreement. Glam came to the farm and was not unnerved by the hauntings. Thorhall was pleased by the man's willingness to stay on the farm. But the farmer's family and other loyal farmhands simply detested the new arrival. Glam had a lot of unlikable characteristics. He was crude, rude, and completely uninterested in the new Christian religion. On Christmas Eve, Glam did not show up to mass. Thorhall and his people did not make much of it because Glam was known to not be religious. But when everyone noticed stray sheep wandering around the farmstead, they began to worry. Thorhall and his farmhands mounted a search party and scoured the land for Glam. They came across a large disturbed area where the snow was trampled over a large area with rocks and soil churned up to the surface there they found the body of glam it was a horrible sight horrible sight the corpse was horribly swollen and his flesh had turned an unnatural black color leading away from glam's body was a trail of blood that soaked into the snow the blood was not glam's own So observers concluded that the trail was made by whatever massive creature had killed the herdsman. Glam's body was of such immense weight that the farmhands had trouble bringing the remains back to civilization. They tried for three days to drag the body to a local church for burial, but all attempts to move the deceased herdsman failed. On the third day, they buried Glam where he lay fashioning a makeshift burial mound out of nearby stones. A shallow scattering of rocks in the wilderness, however, was not enough to let Glam rest in peace. The people quickly learned that he was having a very restless afterlife. He dug his way out of his grave and began to haunt the valley. The Draugr wandered Thorhall's lands for three years, killing people brutally, smashing every bone in their bodies and even killing their animals. He especially sought out horses. Eventually everyone fled the area, and no one would stay within miles of the valley. Luckily for Thorhall though, there was an experienced monster hunter in Iceland at that time. His name was Grettir Asmundarson, and the young man was known to have once killed a draugr in a Norwegian burial mound. After the draugr incident, he went on to win a battle against 12 berserkers and hunted down a giant cave bear. Such feats earned the youthful adventurer the title of Grettir the Strong. As luck would have it, Grettir had an unhealthy drive to always test his strength against tougher opponents, no matter how difficult his last triumph had been. So when the hero heard that there was a deadly Draugr haunting Thorhall's lands, he was immediately determined to test his mettle against the supernatural foe. Grettir traveled in the dead of winter to face Glam. When he arrived at the farmstead, Thorhall gave him the usual warnings. His horse would surely be killed and a dead man would undoubtedly be seen walking about the farm. Greta waved away the warnings, put his horse in the stable, and announced that he would stay for the night. Gretir rested, fully equipped, and he entered the farmhouse. He covered his entire body with a rough sheepskin cloak, positioning the whole of the cloak by his face so that he could see what was happening in the house. Despite his hopes, nothing happened at first, but his patience held, and he lay hidden waiting for the Draugr. On the third night, Glam came. It started with the pounding of footsteps on the roof, booming from side to side. Then the door opened and the looming silhouette of the undead Glam stood blocking the moonlight. As if anticipating a fight, the Draugr crept quietly into the house, scanning back and forth, and seeing the cloak under which Gretor had sprawled across the floor, he reached for it. What followed was a titanic battle between two powerful fighters. As Gretir was the weaker of the two, he found himself losing the wrestling match. He was fighting to not get pulled out into the dark winter night, but he was being pulled gradually bit by bit out of the door. In an act of desperation, he threw himself at Glam's chest. The quick change in direction caught Glam off guard, and he fell on his back to the doorway where Gretir was able to pin him to the ground. Gretir's quick thinking unfortunately had some dire consequences. When Glam fell to the ground outside Thorhall's farmhouse, the moonlight clearly illuminated the Draugr's unnatural face and cold blue eyes. The terrible sight stunned Grettir with terror, and while he was paralyzed, the Draugr spoke a dark prophecy that haunted the monster hunter for the rest of his days. But Grettir recovered and chopped off Glam's head, and had the unnatural creature incinerated. Grettir had defeated Glam, but the curse of the Draugr held. After the battle with the undead man, luck always seemed to be against Grettir, and he could no longer grow any stronger than he had been when he fought Glam. His temper frayed, and worst of all was that he had developed an intense and incurable fear of the dark. For in the dark he saw phantoms and monsters of every kind. So it has become a saying ever since then, when folks see things very different from what they are, that Glam lends them his eyes. Or gives them glam sight. Man. Gretter's curse. That sucks, dude. It's tough being a hero.
0: Sometimes.
1: All right, though. All right, so we've talked about Draugers, but shifting gears a bit, what exactly are Hog Boys? Is it just another name for Draugers, or is it something totally different? Because it sounds like something a bit different.
0: Well, it is different, Rock. Hogboys are actually a Scottish, I guess you could say, evolution of the Draugr. The Norse word haugbui, which means barrow-dweller, was anglicized into hogboy by the locals.
1: So the dweller in May's Howe that scared Earl Harold's men to madness was a hogboy?
0: It seems so. At least the later Scottish population of Orkney has considered it so. But the Vikings may well have thought, especially at Christmas time, that they were encountering spirits of the dead.
1: So are hogboys different than draugers in any way?
0: It's my understanding that even though hogboys etymologically are derived from the Norse word hogbui, which is basically just another word for draugr, they're rather different. They're kind of a mix of the draugr in that they dwell in the mounds, but also, like the trow of Orkney, which I guess is another Nordic import.
1: Well, like troughs are more like fairy spirits, yeah. Not necessarily yeah. undead, though of course, you know, we know the realms of the fae and the realm of the dead are sometimes kind of overlapping.
0: Exactly. The thing is, the Scottish lore of the hog boys, or hog boons, which is another variation of the name, believe that they actually protect the surrounding farms if they're well treated.
1: Hmm, interesting. So hog boys, they do, they sound a lot nicer. You have any stories?
0: There was a farmer on a small island whose lands were under the protection of a hog boy from a nearby how. He had inherited the tradition from his family of leaving food offerings for the hog boy, milk, butter, eggs, ale, or mead, whatever they were producing and in return, the hog boy guarded his lands from misfortune. As long as he shared the produce of the farm with the hog boon, then it looked after him and his. But the man married, and his wife didn't know anything about hog boys, so she stopped feeding him and refused to share anything with him. So the hog boy sat for a while on his mound, waiting for his lunch to be delivered. One night, ravenous, he finally went out of the farmhouse to have a look around to see if anything was wrong. Maybe there was an illness in the family or some reason why he hadn't been fed. When he got there, he discovered everyone sleeping soundly and everything was fine. Everything was in order. He went over to the porridge pot by the fire. He thought he would at least scrape the inside of it and get something to eat. But he discovered that even that had been scoured clean. No porridge. In a fury, he stole the pot, went back to his mound, and then he made their life hell. Every time the farmer was looking for something, that thing would be stolen. Practical jokes were played on the family, and their lives were made miserable. Eventually the wife, understanding the implications of her thriftiness, renewed relations with the hog boy and made offerings to him, and the situation returned to normal.
1: Thriftiness can be a virtue, gang, but uh, don't be greedy.
0: Nothing in excess, people. Everything in moderation.
1: Mm-hmm, even moderation. But, uh, you know, that's some good advice. You know it. Interesting thing is, you know, it seems like people in the area still believe in hogboys even to this day. Oh, yeah? Yeah, there was a uh, one researcher. He was asking locals about their beliefs. And, dude, this was as recent as the 1990s. And he was talking to an old woman. And she still put out food and milk for the hogboy regularly. Nice some other local residents had made fun of her for it but she said well all i know is the food is gone in the morning
0: oh, that's awesome there you have it folks Hogboys boys are still out there
1: mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Eat what you put out share what you can both with our neighboring spirits and anyone else who needs it as we enter the holiday season
1: well said maxi that wraps it up for tonight
0: I believe so we love and appreciate you people, and if you appreciate us too, why not head over to buymeacoffee.com and search Nightmares Podcast for an invigorating one-time donation. Mm-hmm. It helps us keep the lights on here at Nightmares and Daydreams, and even more important, keeps us ever so happy.
1: And caffeinated. <laughs> and speaking of supporting the podcast gang, if y'all are of the mind, head on over to patreon.com forward slash Nightmares Podcast for extra content. Tears start at a buck a month and you can cancel any time.
0: Speaking of the best bard in the business, Teresa Joy keeps casting enthrall on y'all. That's some third-level spell stuff. (laughs) No joke. She gives us that amazing sound so many of you have commented on. Find and follow her at Viobright on Facebook and the Gram.
1: And we asked earlier, but we will ask again. Please, y'all, head on over to whatever podcast you listen to us on and grant us that boon of the sacred five-star review. And of course, the best way to help us out is by sharing our podcast, gang. Help your boys get out there.
0: Also, join us on social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. we love to hear from you.
1: Mm -hmm. And finally, don't forget to head on over to our own damn website at NightmaresPodcast.net to holler at your boys. Scroll on down, see the wolves, and let us know what you're thinking. And as Max said, we'd love to hear from you. So, party people, as always, be good to each other, happy holidays, and... Sweet dreams,
0: sweet dreams.